We've rounded up five stories from the marketing industry that you need to know on this week's episode. Hello and welcome to Inbound Academy, brought to you by Risen. I'm Jeff Lambert. So on this week's episode, we're going to make the conversation a little bit longer. We've done daily episodes that have gone for about 10 minutes. We're going to try something different this month. We're going to do a weekly podcast, and we're going to extend out the conversation and try and get a little bit in-depth with our topics. And I guess as a, as a bonus, we're going to be also launching a YouTube version of what we're doing so you can see us not only well you can hear us not only on podcasts but you can see us on youtube as well so with that in mind let's go ahead and jump into our topic for this week our goal is that we want to talk about the stories that matter to you in the marketing and sales industry so we've done some research and we've gathered five stories from the past month that we want to discuss a little bit more in depth and to talk about those i've invited the hubspot certified trainer and ceo of risen inbound rogelio rodriguez rod thanks for coming by thanks for having me jeff absolutely so uh let's jump right into some of these topics so we're gonna have five stories for you we're gonna break them down and i want to mention too i'm gonna put these in the show notes for you if you want to click the links to read some of these stories to either reference later, or if you want to share them with coworkers or friends, they'll be there waiting for you. So for story number one, there was an article published in the Think with Google newsletter, and the title of it had to do with saying that the end of digital marketing is here. Now, this was an interview that was done with Marie Goulin Merle, who is Calvin Klein's chief marketing officer and PVH's chief digital officer. So that's the breakdown of the story. Rod, can you go into a little bit more detail of what did she say in this interview that was so, I guess, um, surprising to a lot of people? Uh, sure. Um, so Marie stated that the end of digital marketing is here. So I think that ruffles a lot of feathers with uh, a lot of marketers. Sure, um, yeah. But in essence, you're saying that it's it's misleading and uh, duplicative to talk about traditional marketing and digital marketing, right? Um, so she's making a point that all marketing is now digital. Even billboards and ads uh, in malls are all digital. I mean, you're you're driving down the highway and and uh, you see these ads that flip every five seconds, right? Uh, same thing at, at the mall, um, as I as I mentioned earlier. And it's impossible to be digital first when everything is digital. Got it. So it's not so much that the end of marketing in general is coming. Google's not planning some big coup or anything like that, right? No, no, no. It's not the end of the marketing world at all. Okay. I wasn't ready to put my resume back up on LinkedIn yet. So <laughs> so Marie was just basically saying that, can we use that phrase? Is traditional marketing dead? You know, I, I think it's just becoming more uh, unified. It's one thing, right? It's, it's marketing. Uh, so I think it's more of reframing uh, the way that we have these discussions, right? Because it's, it's hard to, to do, to differentiate now, right? We're becoming more in, in tune with our technology and it's much, uh, a, a much bigger part of our lives. And that, that's what drives this whole, uh, you know, uh, digital, um, outlook, right. As being just part of life, part of marketing. 
Yeah, I guess to your point, can you really be a marketer nowadays and not work with digital technology? It right. doesn't seem like it's possible, really. No, I don't think so. So I, I guess what would be the, the key takeaway here for, for us with this story for marketers? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of understanding that um, there has to be a digital strategy right, in everything that you do. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. So don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, if we got you with the title that digital marketing is dead, that's not really what's being said here. But I think it is a fair point. If you're in the marketing space, you have to use you have to use updated technology. That's where everything is now, uh, and it ties back to inbound pretty nicely, do doesn't it? Like every every experience that a customer has. They go to a search engine, they search out information, they research it, then they go through this whole process that Inbound really talks about. That's the default now. Right. right. Yeah. So that sums up our first story in talking about, you know, the transformation. Marketing is now digital. So let's go to story number two. The title of this article was Two Large New Studies Discuss the State of Local Marketing. And this article basically it, 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 it talked about two very large studies that were done very closely to each other. And they were both released within a week of one another. So they came out very close. And they really provide valuable insight and data into the current state of digital marketing on the local level. So Rod, can you talk a little bit about these two studies, what they were measuring, what their goals were? Uh, sure. So uh, Fresh Truck published uh, an analysis of over 150,000 local business websites. And SOCI conducted a localized social marketing analysis of 163 leading franchise brands. And, and the results uh, came out, um, they're, they're very interesting, right? It said that marketers aren't fully building out location pages across uh, Google, Facebook, and Yelp. So it's preventing easy engagement with customers uh, and, and decreasing the visibility that you may get, right? From, and local rankings also suffer as a result of not completing these, these pages that are completely free for any business to, to uh, take over. So local businesses, it's finding that maybe on a, on a larger level, Companies are paying attention to making sure that they have, you know, the address filled out for their local business, that they have the contact information, the hours filled out, making sure that they're watching for the reviews. That's not really happening on the local level? Uh, no. In fact, 78% of locations were, were claimed. Uh, Google had the highest percentage with 85. Uh, Facebook had 74 and Yelp had uh, 75. Wow. So like 25% of businesses aren't even categorized correctly on these sites. Right. They're, they're just not claiming the location or, or controlling it at all. That, that feels kind of accurate if I'm thinking about my travels, because there's always places, you know, when you're in another town and you're far away and you're typing in like burritos or pizza or something like that. There are some sites that pop up that are either closed or they don't have like the address filled out correctly or the phone numbers disconnected. Or I've even like I remember situations where like you can't even look at the menu for the place and you're there's this site that lets you like take a screenshot of a menu and mm -hmm. put it up and you're like reading someone else's picture of the menu instead of it having it online sure that's all stuff that that businesses should pay attention to right no absolutely uh, and I, I they're not you know so some of the things that also came out of the of the study is that businesses aren't responding to local customer feedback right uh so response rates on each platform uh for facebook it was 48 percent of locations responded to consumer reviews wow. on, on Google 36 and on Yelp 
My goodness. So why do you think that is? Why, why are business owners not taking time to respond to these reviews? Because I mean, that's, I look at the reviews when I'm choosing a place to go and eat or when I'm picking a vendor. And if there's like three, one star reviews right at the top and no response, like no, no, uh, clarification of what happened, that's probably going to steer me towards another business, right? No, absolutely. And, you know, in terms of, of what we do, we, we advise our clients that they should be responding to each and every, uh, single review that they receive, whether it's positive or negative, you know, if it's a negative, even more so, cause they, they should try their best to, to fix the problem that they're getting the, the negative review from. And, um, it, it's really a, a strategy I think it, that will take time and, and gives uh, marketers opportunities here to, uh, improve upon, right. The communication that they're having with their end customers. So what else did this study bring out? They, they covered two important points, and I think it's, it's good for us to remember as marketers. Was there anything else that the, these two studies found? Uh, well, in the amount of reviews that there are out there, uh, Google leads uh, by far, hmm. has the, the most out of uh, Facebook and Yelp even combined. And they're the newest player in the game, too, if you think about it. Like Facebook and Yelp have been around for a long time with the, the business reviews. Google yep. just started getting into this space a couple of years ago. But they're first now. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. So does that mean I shouldn't bother with using Facebook or Yelp or any of these third-party services? No, no, not at all. So one of the things in the study or one of the statistics that came out of it was uh, 92% of, of uh, Yelp, 92% of the search results show up on Google of the Yelp uh, listings. Okay. So if I search for like a local restaurant, their Yelp page is going to show up in the search results. Yes. Got it. Got or, it. I mean, it may be a grouping of them, right? Like best restaurants in Coral Gables or best restaurants in Austin. Uh, it'll show a grouping of it, but 92% of, uh, of the, those Yelp um, pages actually show up in Google. Okay. So it's very important still. So it would definitely be good for ranking purposes to still pay attention to Yelp. Yes. Okay. And so if I'm using Google Maps or, or Google, I should say, just search, and I'm using Facebook and I'm using Yelp, are those the only three that I should really worry about keeping my business uh, updated on, or are there other ones worth my time? No, uh, I think you have to look at the top five, which are rounded out by Angie's List and yep. Home Advisor. Oh, well. okay. And I think Angie's List is a paid service, isn't it? Uh, they recently went free, actually. They did. For, free for the, for the consumer. They used to be paid. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So really, those are the five I should be putting my time into. Yes, as, as a business owner, absolutely. Okay. So I guess if we can bring it all back for, for our take, our key takeaway for this story, what can we learn from this? What should marketers, I guess, take and glean and share with other people from these two studies? Yeah, I think, uh, we got to look at two things, right? Claiming, uh, and verifying hundred percent of the actual, the pages that are already listed, yep. uh, across Google, Facebook, and Yelp at least. Okay. Um, and then respond to reviews. Uh, you know, go in and answer questions on Google and, and to try to do it within the first 24 hours of receiving that review, gotcha. whether positive or negative. Sure. If it's that a positive one, say thank you, you know, for, right. for, for, for the positive review. And then uh, if it's a negative one, do your best to, to fix the problem. Sure. Or at least clarify the situation, right? There you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can think of some negative reviews where, you know, the owner will get a little chippy back and say like, you know, you gave me one star, but you came in doing this, this, and this, and I offered you this, this, and this, and it still wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. That enough for me as a consumer to be like, well, maybe I'm going to ignore this one star review because I understand the context of what happened. Sure. So yeah, I can, I can see why that would be important. So great. All right. So we're two stories in, in terms of 
issues that matter to marketers. Let's go on to number three. So this story talks about, you know, it feels a little bit predatory in terms of, you know, how marketing targets kids, but I think it's something we have to pay attention to. So this article is entitled, uh, Direct-to-Consumer Brands Are Increasing Marketing to Kids. So this article outlines direct-to-consumer brands and and how they're targeting kids more. So I guess let's just define our terms here real quick. What the heck is a, a D2C or a direct-to-consumer brand? Uh, you know, I, I would give you examples because the definition um, would be more um, general. These examples of, of these brands are, are Bonobos, Allbirds, Casper Mattresses, Rent the Runway. Okay. These, uh, these brands, um, you know, don't use a traditional uh, sales or retail approach, yeah. right? Uh, they'll go direct through direct ads, um, you know, direct mail, direct uh, engagement on uh, Instagram and Facebook and social media. Uh, so they have several ways of going, of bypassing that traditional salesperson interaction that typically happens. And all these two, well, I guess it's in the name, direct-to-consumer, like Allbirds, I purchase from their site, it comes right to my door. They're not putting their stuff in Payless or, or any of these other... No, exactly. Okay, so no third party, got it. So um, I guess the connection here is D2C companies, because I can think of myself, I'm a borderline millennial. I like D2C companies. Do most millennials do as well? Yeah, uh, according to the article, that is, that's their 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 target, right? They're... Uh, the people born between early 80s and early 2000s, um, they seem to engage and like these types of brands a lot a lot more. Got it. Okay. So if millennials are using D2C or they prefer D2C brands more and more, um, what's the connection with kids? So uh, in 2016, according to the article, uh, 48% of millennial women, about 17 million people, uh, were already mothers. Wow. Okay, so that's that's a pretty large chunk of the population for that generation yes. who has kids. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So that's why they're launching product lines for uh, their children. Yeah, if they're shopping there already, you know, usually the kid wants what the parent wants. Right, 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 right. So just a few examples of these are, you know, like Allbirds. They introduced a, a kid's wool shoe line called Smallbirds. <laughs> I like the name. Yeah. <laughs> Warby Parker uh, has a child version of some of its most popular glasses as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, Quip uh, launched a kid-friendly toothbrush uh, this uh, last March. You know, a completely unrelated plug for Quip because I, I am not employed nor in getting any money for this, but I just bought a Quip toothbrush actually from Target. Works great. My teeth feel so clean now. Okay, great. <laughs> so I recommend them. Um, is this a targeting kids, I guess, of a certain generation? Is this... Is this a new tactic that's being tried? No, uh, it's been around for for many years. Uh, I mean, uh, baby boomers and and Gen Xers grew up with Gap, uh, which was founded in 1969. And to keep them coming back, the company introduced Gap Kids uh, oh, back yeah. in 1986. That's and, right. And Baby Gap in '89. I, I I remember those. Boy, is Gap even around anymore? No offense to Gap. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I haven't. I think I saw one in South Beach. Okay. Mall. There I may mean, be one. I can't even remember the last time I went to a mall, to be honest with you, which I guess ties back to yeah. our preference for D2C companies. Absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. So, well, are there other examples another, too? Oh. Yeah, one more brand. I was going to name McDonald's because I think everybody sees them on every corner. Yeah. Founded in 1955, they introduced Happy Meals in 79. Ah. 
right? Yeah. It's uh it was just this release was just as the key batch of their customers began having children. That that makes perfect sense. And they also have the play places too. I see all the time at McDonald's. So right. if if I'm a parent, which I am and I want to get like a little break, I can take my 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 kid to that restaurant and they can play for a while. They get their food. Like that's going to get me to go to them because I don't think Burger King and Wendy's has a lot of those types of like playgrounds for kids that I've seen at least. So no, you're right. I'm, I mean, I haven't seen them either. So yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. So we're we're seeing companies doing this more and more. What's the takeaway that we can we can glean from this as marketers? Uh, I think you know if your buyer persona's target is millennial, um, that there's an opportunity to expand your your offering uh, to them by expanding it to their their children. Take it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That makes sense. All right, let's go to story number four, and we're, we're crossing over into Hollywood for this one. So the title of this article is uh, New Spider-Man Movie, A Triumph for Innovative Marketing. Now, before we get into this, Rod, have you seen this movie yet? No, I have not. Okay, and I haven't either. So I think we can't give away any spoilers, really, because we don't we don't know what the heck happened yet. Yeah, so, absolutely. Let, let's talk about this. Now, Spider-Man, I know, I was just reading about this, like, pretty much like with any Marvel movie, they're just killing it right now. In their ter- their first two weeks, they've already raked in $185 million. That's insane. Yes. So uh, good times keep rolling for this company. But um, they're being praised for their marketing schemes. What did they do that was so innovative in this for this particular film? Uh, well, they just like you mentioned, uh, not giving away the spoilers, they um, proactively uh, searched to not give away too much right by by uh using trailers and advertising to tease people of what may happen in in the movie and that feels like it's a bit of a departure too from past movies because i'm trying to think of other marvel films if you watch a trailer you can pretty much get the gist of you know who's playing the characters who the villain is what the possible outcome is going to be just from watching the trailer right so okay I, i like that they're taking a new approach here um, what were some ways that they were able to make trailers without giving away key plot points? Yeah, well, they uh, they use spoilers specific to the Avengers uh, Endgame movie instead of using their own movie clips oh. uh, in order to build that anticipation. Got it. Okay. Um, and they use misdirection and uh, every marketing scheme to lead fans to think that things were different from the actual plot uh, that was that was going to happen. Hmm. So. I, I guess you could say they were almost dishonest, just trying to throw a curveball at, at at the audience to be like, "Well, this is going to happen, but it's not really going to happen that way." Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, people are entertained by by magic, right? And magic is sleight of hand; it's a misdirection often, and I, and I think uh, that draws us uh, towards towards those elements. And I and I think they did a good job to in advertising this particular movie uh, by using those those tactics. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, I mean, I've gotten used to watching the trailer and I know pretty much what's going to happen in the film. So sure. it's neat to see them taking like a different approach to this, especially for like a triple A movie like this. Um, and this is different for Sony too, right? Like in terms of their marketing approach. Yeah. I mean, they built a reputation on on really giving away most of the plot in previews for Spider-Man movie trailers. And uh, and I think it's a smart departure from from that hmm. okay interesting i'm gonna have to check out the trailers now to see these misdirections because i'm curious uh overall what's the takeaway for marketers with this story 
you know, people still like to be surprised and you have to work a bit for the information. And um, I think misdirection and, and magic and teasing can still be used effectively, effectively in a marketing campaign. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Definitely. Um, and I can think of different, you know, examples of that in the past with movies or TV shows. I like it when they use unique ways to be able to get you to engage with like extra content or with what you're expecting coming up with like future seasons or future movies. So it's good to see them paying attention to that. Let's go to story number five. This one is is interesting. And I, I think, you know, as marketers, this made me feel a little bit depressed when I read this article. <laughs> and I think it's something we just have to look at honestly to figure out how we how we take care of this. So the name of this article is Marketing and Advertising Professionals Lack Empathy. So this was, this was a news article that caught my eye because I thought, oh, you know, I, I think of myself as... Uh, an emphatic person. Uh, what study did this, you know, what did this bring out, I guess? So um, can you give us an overview of the study? Who did it? And what was the goal, I guess? Sure. Uh, Reach Solutions published a new study saying that uh, those who work in the advertising and marketing industry lack the necessary skills to connect with the consumers on an emo- emotional level. They don't like to share, and they're also out of touch with the mainstream. That's a that's a pretty heavy charge. I take a little bit of offense to that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, absolutely. I, I think as as inbound marketers, right? I think we we pride ourselves in in how much uh, effort we put into understanding the consumer. So this was this was absolutely shocking uh, to myself um, as well. What did the but, study find overall? Yeah. Well, they did a survey, uh, two thousand nineteen nationally uh, representative. Uh, UK adults uh, back in March um, they conducted about 199 interviews with advertising and marketing professionals. Now was this done completely in Britain? In, yes, in, in, England? in the UK. Yes. Ah, okay, so this doesn't apply to us Americans then, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope not. <laughs> well, I hope uh, not. overall, what did the study find? Uh, so um, using empathy as a scale, they developed uh, developed by psychologists. The study found generally low levels of empathy across the population. Okay. So only thirty percent of people working in the industry displayed high levels of of uh, perspective taking and effective empathy, while the mainstream scored twenty nine. So overall, people are not scoring high in this. No. Okay. Um, so I feel good so far because it doesn't mean we're any less than the general population. But this study releases some more specific points that show that that people in this industry do suffer a little bit more than the general population, right? Sure. Yep. Um, can you share some of the, I guess, some of the methods they use to be able to um, find out how marketers, how, how they scored on the empathy scale? Uh, sure. The respondents were asked to take part in the in a version of the the dictator game okay right subjects uh have fifty dollars and they can choose to share as much or as little as they want uh with an unknown partner okay so while the people preferred to be while a lot of the people preferred uh to be fair uh, and split the money equally those in advertising and marketing were found to be less fair than the mainstream oh man okay 69% 69% would uh, would share equally compared to the 77% of the mainstream. Oh, okay. So overall, I guess we like to uh, keep the spoils of what we get yes. overall in the marketing <laughs> industry. <laughs> okay. So I, I guess overall, maybe we do have a problem with empathy in this industry. Um, 
what can we learn from that information? If we're faced with, with this study that's giving us empirical data saying that this is the case, what's the takeaway? I think we just need to find new ways of, of, of putting ourselves in, in other people's shoes mm-hmm. uh, so that we can effectively engage with them and effectively, effectively sell to them, yep. right? Um, I think a sale is a, a transfer of emotions has to happen in order for a sale to, to happen. And, uh, and really, you know, it moves us towards adopting a more inbound philosophy. Uh, and we've mentioned it in past uh, episodes before where you're you're taking that uh, emphatic approach to to reaching out and uh, interacting with with customers. You know, it would be interesting and I know there's no way to really find this out now, but how many of those marketers that they interviewed were using an inbound philosophy or were trained in inbound because maybe that number would have been higher yep. for for people who have that training because you and I both know with inbound it is about the customer first. It is about trying to build that relationship. So I would think more empathy would come with that. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I think that's a that's a great uh, point, and maybe we should do a study. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> Something we'll put on the risen list. Yeah. Well, you know, to our listeners, if you're a marketer and you're curious about what the inbound philosophy uh, is all about, you can listen to our previous episodes. We cover a lot of the basics of inbound uh, and and just what it means to take that approach when it comes to your marketing and your sales. So, and I think that's a great place for us to wrap up for today. We, we've covered five topics, all of them having to do with things that affect us in the marketing industry. And, you know, hopefully these are takeaways that we can take back to our own companies and be able to institute immediately. So, Rod, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we'll look forward to doing this again next month where we can really dive into the topics that matter to us. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. No problem. And to our listeners, hey, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Remember, you can expect a new episode every week this month. We're going to change it up a little bit. But don't worry. We're always going to fill these episodes with advice that's going to help you grow your business. And remember, too, if you're looking for an experienced and friendly and results-driven team that can help you and your business, check out Risen by going to GoRisen.com. You can also follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn by searching for the username Risen Inbound. That's one word, Risen Inbound. And to our returning listeners, thank you so much for continuing to stick with us. Remember, you can help us reach new people if you just leave a review on the podcast app of choice. If you're in the podcast app on your iPhone, if you're in Stitcher, if you're on Anchor, whatever it is, you usually have the option to be able to leave a review. So if you could do that for us, it definitely helps. So thanks again for your support, and we'll see you on the next episode.